women need to be poured into. They need to be loved on and filled up so that they feel loved. And then from that, they feel adored, they feel admired, and that makes them want to give back. Hi, friend. Welcome to Gather and Growth, a show created for passionate, growth-focused, rural women like you. From mindset work and building strong habits to exploring the unique joys and challenges of living rural, this is a show to leave you feeling joyful, inspired, and a little less alone. Together, we're on a journey of reaching for the most confident, healthy, and authentic version of ourselves, and I'm forever grateful to have you by my side. Whether you're currently running on a back road, shuffling kids to town, hopping along for a tractor ride, or three loads deep into folding laundry, grab yourself a nice coffee and let's dive in. Welcome back to Gather and Growth. I am joined again by Jada. And if you did not listen to last week's episode, I'm going to have you pause now and go back because everything we talk about is going to make a whole lot more sense. And when we start, we got a little baby sidekick here today. She's cooing, making all your uteruses hurt. I know. Where was I? When we left off last week, we had just started to get into the good stuff, but Jada was hopping on another call. I was hopping on a car to drive to Kansas, so we thought there's got to be a part two. So welcome to that. Jada, will you give us like the 30-second introduction of who you are, just in case someone did not heed my advice and go back and listen to the <laughs> Well, shame on them if they didn't listen, but... <laughs> I'm Jada Dobesh. I am a spiritual and feminine healing facilitator and the owner of Sailor Space Holistic Wellness Co-op in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Wonderful. All right. So as we left off, we were just getting into the topics of divine femininity, feminine wounds, and mother wounds. And that's where we really wanted to expand on this so much more because I know you're right in the middle of even launching a program around some of this and just have so much insight to offer in these areas that are very likely new information or information that a lot of us don't know a lot about. So where would you like to begin in all of this? I'm trying to remember where we left off in the last episode too, but I think divine femininity is a really great, just overall where we should start. Divine femininity is connecting in with the feminine side of ourselves. This makes people kind of squirrely, but we all have feminine and masculine energy and traits and qualities, and we need both. It's that yin-yang idea, right? We need the dark with the light. We need all of that. But in our culture, we have had one praised over the other, growing up, preparing to apply for college, apply for jobs, those kinds of things we have favored in our culture, masculine traits. Masculine traits look like logic over over feeling, over emotions. It's assertive and it's go, go, go. It's very achievement focused and strategic. And it's about doing versus being. And the feminine energy is what we're all really missing out on, which is the feeling, the connection, the community, the emotional thoughtfulness of others and ourselves. It's about 
being present. It's about nurturing. It's about gentleness. It's about creating space and allowing things to happen. And so we all really, really need to be able to lean in or rather lean back and allow for more feminine energy. And this is mainly a problem for women because we block our ability to receive because we've been taught that women are supposed to be givers. But the giving is actually a masculine energy. So the feminine really needs space to receive. And when we can't receive, maybe we don't feel safe to, or we've been taught that you're not supposed to, or you've learned not to trust people to give what you need. We learn not to receive. And then we experience things like burnout and isolation. We experience like a totally stressed out nervous system. We are all struggling to relax, to know what we like. I've had that conversation with so many clients over the past week, coming into my office saying things like, I just don't even know what I like. I don't even know who I am. And I've really pushed back on that because you do know what you like. You do know who you are. You just feel guilty about what you like. Or you think that it's too small, that you're supposed to have this great passion, these great hobbies. I think that hobbies are actually a masculine idea. And I have this conversation with my husband a lot that, you know, we have to have hobbies, that I have to have, you know, an outlet. I have to have a hobby and interest outside of work, business ownership, motherhood, my marriage, tending to our house, right? Like I should also have something that I love to do at the end of all of that. And I watch my entire family kind of harp on my grandma too, because she doesn't have a hobby. Her hobby is watching grandpa have hobbies that she loves to do, right? She loves to be there to support his hobbies, to watch. And everybody's like, you really need something else to do. You have to have something you're interested in. What's going to happen if grandpa is gone or, you know, has to go into a facility? What are you going to do with your time? And I think that's one of the most harmful things we can do to a woman is say, hey, what you're doing is not enough. You should also have something just for you, don't you think? Because first of all, you're instilling in her the belief that what she spends her day doing isn't for her. And then also making her feel worse for not doing more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That concept of more has come up so much. And like I within myself have had such a transformational shift around it is like, in the traditional sense, we have been pushed to more being bigger, better, like a financial standpoint, or I don't, I don't even know, a million different things. Mm -hmm. And there's been so much messaging around empowering women to do that, which I still believe in. If there's a project, if there's an idea, if there's a business, if there's something on your heart that you want to bring to fruition, 100%, like I'm your, I'm your hype girl. But more... For so many of the women I work with and even myself is like more peace, more health, mm -hmm. more boundaries, more clarity around, you know, what matters most and letting go of what we feel like we, in quotes, should be doing mm -hmm. and like really defining more as living life, a life that feels good, like waking up every day and feeling like everything that's on your plate is just enough and not drowning in that overwhelmed spiral of not enoughness. And it's been such an interesting shift over the past couple of years of what that definition of going and being and doing and finding your passion looks like. And for so many women that I know, at least personally, it's like 
even more so a coming home to themselves. And maybe it is creating something new that feels energetically aligned, but it's not necessarily this add more to your plate. (laughs) Your plate already looks like it does on Thanksgiving. You think you're going to start a whole nother business on top of that? Like you gotta let something go. Yes. And I think so much of that, I I love what you're saying. The mission I'm on this year is just more space, more space in my calendar, more space in my house, more space to just be mm-hmm. and to be present and to be able to sit still and play yes. with my kids instead of feeling like I should be doing something else and mm-hmm. all of that. But it's just really hard mm-hmm. to make that choice. Like it's such an intentional decision to choose less or yes. to choose more of something that's countercultural or mm-hmm. to choose something aligned with you that doesn't necessarily align with everybody else we get that idea in our head that like, if I don't do more, then it's going to bother somebody else. I'm Mm -hmm. not enough or it's going to disappoint or it's going to affect X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And that's probably not true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to create all the time. That's also feminine, but we can't create without being nourished. Hmm. And so where are you being nourished and how are you making space to be nourished first? So then the creation can just be an outpouring of what's already within. I feel like that segues into, or correct me if I'm wrong, but segues really well into that idea of that mother wounds and that nurturing element that we crave. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So mother wounds come from not getting what we needed in the way we needed it from our mom. Our mom is our first attachment, and then it's dad. And the attachment with dad is actually to pull us away from mom, to grow some independence. But from our moms, we need three things. We need nurturance, guidance, and protection. Mm -hmm. Mom can't give us protection if dad isn't protecting her. And so marriage has to be good. Even if mom is a fantastic mom and meets all of the needs, If her marriage isn't good, she's not able to be fully present with the kids. She's not fully able to be attentive and nurturing in the ways that she needs because she's dealing with her own stuff. Mm. If dad isn't able to be protective of mom's space, time, energy, emotional well-being, then she's already a little off kilter Mm -hmm. and not able to service the way we need and maybe not as a able to be attuned to herself and therefore she can't be as attuned to us. So she might be meeting our needs, but not in the ways that we needed. Mother wounds are such a tricky topic because we immediately go on defense. Often we find our mother wounds as mothers. Oh yeah. And so then it's really hard to be a daughter who needs healing from a mother wound because you are also trying to be a mother, mm-hmm. trying not to ruin your kids. <laughs> And so there, every instinct in us is going to go into protective mode and go, you know what, maybe we shouldn't even breach that topic. Like, let's not even go there because I don't know if we can handle it. And who, like, I don't know if I can survive hearing about all of this, right? And oftentimes, I don't know if this is true for you. I don't know your relationship with your mom at all, but my mom and I had a really rough, like preteen years 
and then it was okay, and then it got better in college, but it was still kind of, we were kind of separate. We weren't super, super close, and then I got pregnant after we got married, and then our relationship got really good, and I didn't want to ruin that. Like, we were finally in a place that felt pretty good, Mm. so for these mother wounds to be coming up, I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin what we have now. Mm to go explore what hurt back then. Mm-hmm. And so mother wounds really require a lot of bravery to go and explore and and so much curiosity, right? We have to approach it with just curiosity, no mm-hmm. judgment, no assumptions, and we can't be in defense mode. Well, and like you said, like the bravery to feel. Mm. I mean, without going into too much detail, as I've without having a name for it, worked through some things in therapy, my therapist had to be like, stop rationalizing. Yeah. And feel, feel the way you felt when you were five or 10 or 13 or whatever, because like I, gosh, I'm going to cry, got to a point that I could understand and I had rationalized everything. And she was like, that's fine. You can understand and you can have made sense of it, but now it's time to allow yourself to feel the feelings you didn't have the space for then. And that is hard. Talk about walking out of therapy, feeling like you got run over by a semi-truck. Yes. Yes. It's so, it's so hard. And we rationalize because we want to make sense of why mom hurt us. It's in our nature to protect mom's reputation Mm -hmm. and to, and we want to make sense of why it hurt because we can't fathom the idea that mom would hurt us for no reason. Right. And she usually doesn't. Right. So it's so much safer to be like, well, mom was going through this. Mm -hmm. Mom was, you know, we make excuses. We understand. We rationalize. And so it's like, we get it. I understand why it happened. And so it's okay. And so, yes, your therapist will make you go, okay, that's nice. But now we have to work through what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And the way it's still impacting me or us. Yeah. And like you said, especially in motherhood, I feel like there's nothing that makes you confront your shit more than being a mom. Right. Yes. And it's, it's so in the moment that it's always happening, right? It's like me and my five-year-old girl are like ready to come to blows. Mm -hmm. You have to like stop and go, okay, this is not me and my mom. I'm the grown up here. I'm teaching her how to regulate her emotions. Mm-hmm. I have to regulate my emotions. I'm still learning how to regulate my emotions, right? Yeah. And that's why it's such a victory for me when my daughter will say things like, maybe you should take some deep breaths <laughs> because she's noticing, like she gets it. Mm-hmm. And she's she learned something that I didn't learn. Right. And that's so cool. Uh, I think it'll be very cool to see the generation we're currently raising become adults. And not that everyone is, but at least a lot of the people I'm surrounded by are just really digging in and having brave conversations that were not normalized for many generations. And so what ripple effect is that going to have not only on our kids, but on society for a huge piece of a generation to be raised with intentionality towards emotional awareness? Like. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very cool. It's going to be so cool. I saw a TikTok the other day by a like fifth grade teacher or something Mm -hmm. like that talking about how she can already see 
the effects because these two kids were, they got into a fight about something and the other one went, hey, it seems like whatever is going on with you isn't really about this. So I think that we should just take a break from each other and then we can come back and talk about it if you want. But it really doesn't seem like what you're upset about is this thing. Like for a 10 year old to recognize that and communicate that in a kind way, like, can you imagine growing up that way? No, but think about for how many generations was anger a primary emotion that was projected on kids Yes, from the home. And so yes. why wouldn't that be what is projected at school yes. towards each other? And so, yeah, being a former teacher, I just think there's so many, like just so interesting what this is all going to look like and really yeah. encouraging for, yeah. you know, those of us who are doing work that is yeah. certainly not easy. Yep. With the hope that it'll be worth it. Yeah. And I think we can feel some peace of mind that it truly, it is working, Mm -hmm. but we do have a lot of inner work that we have to do, Mm -hmm. right? Because we can teach our kids to emotionally regulate, but if we still get fired up every time we get off the phone with our mom Mm -hmm. or every time we go to visit family, we're talking the talk, but we're not walking the walk. Right. And so... That's why I have really been loving working with women on healing their mother wounds because I want you to have an incredible relationship with your mom. I want it to feel great. I want you to feel nurtured at any age, right? We all need nurturance all the way through our lives from multiple people. This idea that we are supposed to be independent and be able to emotionally regulate on our own and to be able to handle everything in isolation is nonsense. We attach to people, right? We attach to mom, we attach to dad, we get married, we attach to our partners. Attachment is constant and it's a constant need and nurturance has to come from that. And if you are the main nurturer, Mm-hmm. You need even more nurturance. And I think that's a piece that's been missing for so many of us for so long is like, I'm the nurturer. I take care of everybody. Okay, that's cool. Great for you. But now also, how are you being nurtured? Mm-hmm. How are you letting other people take care of you? And oftentimes we can't because mom didn't. So how do we change that? Well... First, we have to understand what we didn't get and how that hurt, right? And oftentimes our moms did the best they could with what they thought they could do. And that's great. But one of your children might be a snuggler and one might need a lot of words of encouragement, right? And if you give both words of encouragement, one is going to miss something. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is acknowledge how we didn't get nurtured the way we did or we needed. We also want to acknowledge the ways we did get nurtured, guided and protected, right? We have to kind of keep one foot in reality, in the present, in the good of what was. And then we have to put the other foot in all of the unmet needs, all of the feelings that are still being held captive in our body because we didn't let them felt. And so we have to acknowledge where we didn't get nurtured the way we needed to. Then we have to learn how to self-nurture because we do need nurturance from other people, right? I need nurturance from my husband, from my friends, from other people, but I also need to be able to self-nurture. 
And in what ways does that feel comfortable? And in what ways does that feel selfish or wrong? And where is that coming from? And so it's so much exploring and playing with the pieces of things. But what it comes down to is where wasn't I nurtured and how do I want to and need to be nurtured now? So once that's identified, then how do we shift to that within our Mm -hmm. homes or in our relationships? Mm -hmm. Like if we have recognized the ways we weren't in the ways that we aren't being, where do we even begin changing that? Because that's, that opens up a whole nother conversation around your marriage and communication and the family dynamic and the way you relate to other women and the way that you're showing up with your family. So what are some tactical things that someone could take away from this conversation and start bringing more of that nurturance into their lives? So before you can be nurtured by other people, if you haven't been in the past or if you've resisted that in the past, you have to be able to receive. So we have to work on that ability to receive. And we did talk about this last time. We talked about the hello game, opening up your left hand, closing your right hand. But then it is about confidence in asking. So you find somebody that you really do trust. For me, that's my husband. That's not everybody's person, but that's my husband. And I had to really practice, like, this is what I need from you right now. And just asking for it. And that is so, so hard when you haven't been doing that your whole life or when you feel like you're asking too much or, you know, whatever it might be. But knowing the way that men and women love are in reverse of each other. So men love to give whatever the woman needs. They want to give, give, give. If the woman receives that giving, they feel accepted and approved of, and then they're able to receive love. Women need to be poured into. They need to be loved on and filled up so that they feel loved. And then from that, they feel adored, they feel admired, and that makes them want to give back. And so they're inverses of each other, which is perfect because now it's a perfect circle, right? And the, we, we move around the circle and it's a natural flow. But if we have been taught to be in our masculine our whole lives, that we have to give to receive, particularly if you're a two on the Enneagram or if you are an oldest, if you were parentized as a child, you learned that you'll be loved if you do good enough. And that is not how it works with feminine energy. That's not how receiving is gonna work for you. So you have to learn to flip that and it's hard. You have to really have trust within yourself that I am worthy of this love and I trust that I will give back when I feel loved, right? I will reciprocate rather than I have to do this and then hopefully they'll love me back. Mm. I'm just imagining so many marriages that I know that are off kilter in so many ways. And so approaching even this topic, I imagine feels scary, but then maybe that's an invitation to how do we reframe the entire structure of the family unit, which comes to like approaching hard conversations And it's hard to do that without getting defensive because both parties are coming into it with preconceived notions of the ways that they are not being taken care of in whatever Mm -hmm. way. And so to even approach this shift requires a lot of communication. A lot of communication and 
usually when there's an off-kilterness to the marriage, the one who is going to take charge of changing it is mm-hmm. the woman. Yes. Which is actually feeding the problem. Mm. That's why when marriages end, it's because she was done, right? It's never because he was over it. He was done. It's because she was done trying. She yeah. tried everything. And so what it really takes is the husband going into that kind of knight in shining armor role mm-hmm. of, you know what, I'm not feeling loved. You know, there's we're not having the physical intimacy that I wanted, right? That's partly a myth about love languages, but that's often what the issue is. I'm not feeling like I'm getting what I need, so I don't want to put in any effort anymore. Well, Mm -hmm. that's, I get it, and you're not wrong, but you're Mm -hmm. the knight in shining armor. Mm -hmm. You are the masculine, take charge, right? And what's gonna heal is you stepping forward and putting in more so that she can get caught up, right? We always talk about how you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Women truly can't pour from an empty cup, but they will try. This is the wounded feminine, right? They will try. You get an ounce of goodness in the cup, dump it out immediately, right? Because I've got emotional debts to pay. So I will dump every ounce I get out right away. And that's where she's not able to give at the end of the night the way that he probably wants, right? But if we do this right, then her cup is full to overflowing. And that overflow is what's for everybody else. What's in the cup has to be for us. What overflows out of the cup is everybody else's, especially my partners. So if you can fill me to full, then there can be an outpouring. But before that, I'm just trying to survive. This may not be what you normally speak into, but what does this look like from the male perspective in Mm -hmm. terms of parental wounds? Yeah. Because so much of the reality we exist in is a byproduct of our childhood and intergenerational stuff. So as we as women are tapping into that defined feminine and healing our mother wounds and doing all of this, like what can or should our male counterparts be exploring? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So first of all, men have mother wounds too. And I don't know if you grew up this way, but I really thought all of my pain came from my dad. I thought I had daddy issues, right? Like that's the common thing to hear about women. And, you know, men that grow up without fathers and those sorts of things, right? But because our first attachment is to mom, all of the father woundings are actually secondary, right? So if somebody grew up without a dad, their mom had to take on other roles, right? Mm -hmm. So the nurturance and guidance came last. It was about protection and provision and those sorts of things. And there wasn't enough of that woman that mother Mm -hmm. to get into those mother. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're only human. And yes, we can. The incredible thing about women is we will step up to whatever role we have to take, right? We will do anything. But if we have to, when we have to take on our masculine into overdrive, it's not it's, we will, we will do that divinely, right? We will meet all of the masculine energy requirements and it'll be generally healthy. 
but what will suffer is our feminine. And so in our motherhood, that's the guidance and the nurturance, right? It's the yummy, feel-good snuggles and bedtime stories and all of that, right? So this always sounds like, oh, it's mom's fault again. That's not what I mean here. Yeah. It's that all everything that we feel, right, we feel through mom first. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, dad might have screwed up. Dad might be the problem. Dad might have left, abandoned us, treated us poorly, been abusive, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But the wound we feel the closest is what mom wasn't able to give. And so men absolutely also have mother wounds. What I see most often is that that is revealing itself in a way of not being able to tap into their masculine the way that they want to. It just doesn't feel possible. It doesn't feel right. And so they end up in a wounded feminine space that they're working from most Mm. of the time. There is something I heard once about the curse. So when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, the ways they were cursed was that the woman would have painful childbirth and her desire would be for her husband. And the the men, it would be really hard to work the land. They would mm. really struggle to work. How I heard it talked about was really interesting because it shared that, well, I don't want to screw this up. The feminine desire for her husband was actually desire for control, desire for the power, desire for all of those masculine traits and she's going to lean into that masculine space and the man is going to check out. He's going to become really passive. Anything that's difficult, he's going to kind of go, you know what? It's not worth it. And you see that a lot in marriages. Men take on this backseat, whatever you say, dear. Yes, I'll do that. But only if you remind me, Mm -hmm. right? This very passive, like it's going to be a struggle to tend the land. Which then just creates this cycle of her doing more, him doing less, her resentment growing, him getting increasingly frustrated. And so it like makes that imbalance grow over the course of, you know, one, five, 10, 20 years. Well, generations. My grandpa can't do anything without my grandma. He can't remember. He's diabetic. He can't remember to take his shot when he eats without her remembering, right? She is in charge. And that's, I think we see that in a lot of generations. That's just kind of the way that it was. And I think a lot of us grew up with mom was definitely the decider of things, right? Dad followed through on everything, but mom made the choice. Mom said how it was going to be. And I think as we have expected our spouses to be more present with the kids, more helpful in the house, we're also kind of adjusting to who's in charge again in a different way. And when I watch all of these social media posts about like women not wanting to decide anymore, I think we're actually correcting something on a higher level. Mm -hmm. I think we're actually saying, you know what, it'd be really great if you took charge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would feel really good. Yeah. Especially when you are in that relationship with trust and open communication, because this isn't a control thing. It's not i I'm the boss and you 
you know, submit to everything I say and I, you're my pawn. It's this like, it's the the way you're describing it, like the yin and the yang. It's like that symbiotic relationship and communicating when things feel off kilter and Mm -hmm. setting, understanding, respecting boundaries and like figuring out how to navigate life together instead of one person controlling the situation. Right. right. And my therapist talked about it as over-functioning and under-functioning. Like I had to over-function to make up for my partner's under-functioning. Mm-hmm. And the way to heal that was actually for me to set down some functioning and wait for him to pick it up. Yes. And I think so many of us are terrified of doing that. And that's also a mother wound mm-hmm. that says, if I don't do this, nobody will. Right. And then it will be my fault. <laughs> and then resentment grows. And yep. So tell us more about how you coach or help women through these conversations in their marriages. Because it's not as easy as listening to this podcast and deciding, right. <laughs> no, what? Like, yeah, everything is a little out of whack around here. And tomorrow, everything's going to be turned upside down. It is truly an evolution. You know, if I think about Andrew and I's marriage, like the way we functioned in the early years compared to now has taken Mm -hmm. a lot of intentionality and growth on our part. Mm -hmm. And I'm elated by the the space that we're in at this point, but it doesn't come without years of navigating and figuring it out. So how does one begin the shift? within themselves and within their marriage. Yes. So typically I don't see couples, at least first, oftentimes a client that I've been working with for a long time will bring her husband in for a session or two, but generally I'm just working with the women. And this is both good and bad. Where it gets tricky is sometimes we'll come to a point in our work together where it's like, well, honey, this is actually work your husband has to do on himself. And no amount of you sitting in my office and doing the hard work is going to change his behavior, Mm -hmm. right? But just like in my experience, I had to learn to stop Mm over-functioning, right? And so often that's where a lot of, of the starting comes from is we are constantly working on self-worth in my office, but feeling confident in that self-worth to say, actually, that's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. I will wait for you to take care of it, right? And it's usually a little stuff, right? Like I was talking to a client who is just livid because there were some towels like sitting in the driveway for like a whole week that her husband had left. And she was like, I'm not picking them up. I've asked mm-hmm. you three times. Now you're out of town. Your mom keeps asking me what those towels are about. Like, So usually it's that kind of little stuff where you just have to go, okay, it is over-functioning for you to constantly be asking him to do things. Mm -hmm. It is over-functioning to make a list of Mm -hmm. the things he has to take care of. And it's micromanaging, right? Your your marriage isn't a business, so you don't have to give him a task (laughs) list, right? He's going to have to learn to be a grown-up that looks around the space and picks up what needs to be picked up. And it's okay. Nothing bad will happen if you leave it. Mm -hmm. You're still a great wife. You're still a great mom. Nothing bad will happen. Nobody is going to be mad at you. So working a lot on that little stuff, just 
you know, identifying whose responsibility it truly is. How do you want this to look once it's healed? If something's left in the driveway, how do you want that to be handled? And then you have to start behaving in that direction. And so we do a lot of work there. We do a lot of work identifying, you know, where did you learn that it was your job? Who taught you that? And what does that mean now? Mm -hmm. Does that still apply? Is it truth? Do you want it to look a different way? Right. And really exploring that. Yeah. Well, that's where we come into relationships without having these conversations. Yes. And we fall into the roles that either we saw modeled for us or we feel like we should be doing. And so again, coming back to that that communication piece. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought up that concept of self-worth because I feel like that's something mm -hmm. that in any of the work that I am doing, that is so often an underlying isn't it everything? Every everything. time you go to therapy, it's like, oh, this is self-worth too? Great. Great. Yeah. I mean, like, I think so many women think that they struggle with confidence or bravery right. or tenacity right. or time management or productivity or something or like imposter syndrome. Everything. Mm -hmm. When you peel back the layers comes yeah. back to worthiness yeah. and it lights a fire. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a big piece. And, you know, we so we store how we feel about ourselves in the mm. uterus, right? That's the energetic anatomy of our womb space, mm. how we feel about us. And how we feel about us is directly related to how we thought mom felt about us and think oh. mom feels about us. So if mom didn't give us what we needed, whether that was verbal, whether that was physical. We didn't learn it's because she didn't know that that was our need or she didn't, she wasn't able to give it. We learned we weren't worthy of it. And that's where a lot of this comes from. And that's where it will show up in our uterus, in our womb space. That's where we'll have really heavy, painful periods, endometriosis, PCOS. All of that is going to come from this idea of what we think of ourselves. Mm-hmm even weight we can't lose, right? We kind of, it all sits here, right? That's the weight we just can't get rid of. Yep. It's also about how do you feel about yourself and, and what do you feel you're worthy of? Because we can only receive what we believe we're worthy of. Yeah. Yep. And then our ovaries are energetically aligned with, this is always like hard for people to grasp because there's no good way to word it, but it's how we think the world, other people feel about us and what we've created. Mm. So if we think that people like us, our ovaries will be healthy. If we think that people like the work we do, our ovaries will be healthy. Wow. If we feel we have to control other people or other people are controlling us, our ovaries will not be healthy. So all of that is being stored in this low womb space in our sacral chakra. And that's where things like self-worth, joy, pleasure, all of that sits right there too. So our capacity to make money comes from there. Our sense of sexuality comes from there. Our libido sits there. Our capacity to experience joy sits right there and it all gets blocked up by this concept of self-worth. 
You just opened up a whole nother can of worms. (laughs) (laughs) But gosh, yeah. If you think about so many, I don't even know what my point is. Just so many, so many, so many, everything. Yeah. Everything. It's all tied together. Yeah. And it can be overwhelming, right? Like you really have to let that land and you have to play with it and turn it around and tip it upside down. and (laughs) And here we are. The reason that you can't do X, Y, Z is because of your ovaries and those hurt because of this, that, and the other. And here's another project to solve to feel better. But I think just understanding the interconnectedness of it and like we, I think as women internalize a lot of responsibility for the way we feel, what we do, all of this. And so even just understanding that there's underlying reasons or factors at play is like that side of relief of like, oh, I thought I was just going crazy. It's never that. I literally (laughs) have never heard of an instance where some woman just actually went crazy and there was nothing behind it, right? That just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But we can get so caught up in those woundings and those beliefs and a lack of self-worth that we have to act out of this survival mode place constantly. I always do recommend like when we start this healing, if there's an ovarian issue, we start there because the like renewal cycle Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the ovaries is about a month. We can change the way that you think and feel about how people in the world receive you in a month. Wow. Because that's how long it takes to form an egg, right? But the uterus, how you feel about you, that's at least nine months of healing. Mm. That is a slow process, partly because it bleeds into every aspect of your life and you're healing it layer by layer. And then something will come up and it'll be a challenge and you'll do it again. Right. And so it takes, you got to plan on this being a slow process. Be patient with yourself. The hardest part of healing for women, I think, is how long it takes. Well, yeah, we're an instant gratification society. I want to listen to a podcast, read a book, and then check it off my to-do list. Yes. And even more than that, I think it's so hard for us to feel worthy of the time it takes to do it right? And then to find out you're probably going to do this for a year or more. Okay, well, I don't know if I can do that. Even like journaling, we can't bring ourselves to take five minutes to journal. There are so many questions I want to ask you. (laughs) This is just so, it's like things like this just make everything make sense. Mm. And I think it can feel overwhelming and also really refreshing to just understand, you know, that like knowledge is power. Like we walk through our lives not knowing and feeling like, you know, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And therefore I need to work harder to fix it. And, you know, taking that information that you shared, like that pushes us deeper into that you know, overdoing and that masculine energy. And so then it, it, it like creates more problems. So if yeah. anything, I feel like this is permission to just step back and understand and heal. Yeah. And like you said, receive and. Yes. You know, something else about masculine and feminine that's really important is the masculine craves knowledge. The feminine craves wisdom. We're always seeking an understanding on a deeper level. 
And that's why we single-handedly have funded the self-help industry, right? We're trying to understand ourselves. We're trying to make sense of it all, right? And we're not just doing it to collect knowledge. We're doing it to feel different Mm. in our existence, right? And so what's really fascinating about that is the wisdom is such an important piece but it's not going to be the part that heals. The part that heals in the feminine is sitting in the darkness of whatever you're feeling and allowing it to be felt. Gosh, I just feel like this could open up a whole nother conversation and we're already, we're already getting close to time, but just how much systemically and institutionally women have been conditioned to not feel and to not tap into their femininity. And their intuition. Mm-hmm. We can't even trust our intuition anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's it causes anxiety, right? When we don't trust ourselves to know the answer and we've got to go find some more answers. It's why I see, I work with a lot of business owners and a lot of those women, I'm like, you have got to stop working with a coach. You need a break from a coach. I think coaching is wonderful, but it's for a period of time. Learn the stuff and then you have to go and trust yourself to run this business. When you feel like you can't do it without your business coach, you are not connected to you. And so we we really do, we lose that intuition. I I read so many books when I was pregnant and with my first. Like I needed to gain enough understanding of what was happening and it created a lot of anxiety but nobody taught me how to trust myself and my intuition and take it slow and make some space coming from a background in the church yeah what role do you see that that's played in the way that women trust themselves themselves? i think i think that women are more easily controlled when they don't trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really convenient for the church, for men, for, Mm -hmm. for all of it, right? It's, it's convenient for everybody else for us to not trust ourselves. It's great for the economy if we don't trust ourselves because we'll buy another book, we'll try another product. We'll, you know, we'll do more. We'll go after more. And, and it, that will just keep us stuck and spinning. And I think, yeah, I think that that can be a really painful, a really painful piece of it. And I think it also gives us an idea of who God is. Mm-hmm. When we're taught that we have to rely on other people, we're also sitting there waiting for God to speak to us like from a burning bush, right? Like he's going to say something and then I can act and then I'll be faithful. And that's not what we're called to, right? God speaks to us through us. Like we have desires on our heart because he put them there. And when we don't trust ourselves, when we can't hear our own inner voice, when we can't listen to our intuition, we're actually cutting off the voice of God in a lot of ways. Yes. Which is very counter to the way Mm -hmm. a lot of churches teach women. Yes. Well, and, you know, growing up, Purity culture was a really huge piece 
for me and, you know, praying for your future husband. And I'm supposed to have this incredible relationship with God while praying for this man who's going to be able to lead me in my faith. Mm-hmm. And then once I marry that man, then he's going to take charge of my faith and he's going to lead me. And I will what? Keep praying for my husband so he can keep leading, right? Like, where is the relationship with God once you get married? It was such, that was such a strange learning. And I, Wit and I struggled with that for a while because he grew up Catholic non-practicing. And when we met, I was halfway through my theology degree and working in a church for all intents and purposes. If anybody was going to be leading our faith, it was going to be me. And I felt so guilty about that for so long because I'm supposed to be able to trust him about this. Now I'm supposed to let him lead. If I'm going to be a good wife, I'm supposed to drop my intuition, my relationship with God, you know, all of this and give it over to him now. And I don't think anybody explicitly said it like that, but that's really the way that it felt. What's well, internalized messaging. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which then goes back to, you know, talking about the masculine and feminine marriage. That was also a factor in, yes. in playing with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All comes full circle. Well, mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole other topic that we can say <laughs> another day. But yeah, I just, I think you offer a really insightful perspective on that because you do have that background in theology and existing in the church. And so seeing how this all supports that and like being able to look at certain institutions with a critical eye and not that everything is bad or good, right? But being able to discern like the way some of these things that we hold so much value in always have our best interest in mind and not even explicitly, but how much we are all part of, of systems in one way or another. But yeah, being able to tap into intuition and and what you know to be true and what makes sense and just being comfortable with not having all of the answers and not having to look outward to find truth, but to tap into that, that self and that intuition and that feminine. I just, yeah. It's, it's very cool to start to understand and unpack all of that, but yeah. also uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. All, every topic that I broach, every, like my entire business is just about having hard conversations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what is that like being a person who is bringing uncomfortable, but deeply important conversations mm-hmm. to women for the first time yeah. to society at large, often in a way that's not talked about. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. It feels really good. Like it's such a good thing for my ego when people are like, I never knew any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I know. that we're here talking about it now. Mm -hmm. It feels so good. At the same time, I've gotten a lot of backlash for that. And a lot of people will be very upset by things I have to say, particularly as the church is concerned. 
because I, I require curiosity, right? We have to be able to look at things with curiosity and play with them and ask questions. One of my theology professors explained that faith is not a lack of doubt and it's not a lack of questions. And that's what's allowed me to have these conversations about mother wounds, about faith, about spiritual upbringing, because it's not that, you know, if I ask you about your mom and I ask you, like, did she look you in the eye when she talked to you? Did you have an, you know, I'm not saying you probably had a crappy mom. I'm just exploring with you, right? (laughs) I'm just exploring with you. When we talk about the church and the ways that it might have hurt you, I'm not saying don't go to church anymore. I'm saying, where is it uncomfortable? Where are you frustrated? And how can we play with that and get into those feelings? Feelings and I have become friends over the years, but not always that way. Takes time. It does. It does. And it's, what's it in in Shrek? The onions have layers? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the same way. You peel back one thing and you think, oh man, I finally really got this figured out. And then yes. you get knocked sideways with something else and you're like, okay. And now let's unpack that and yes. figure out what to do with it. So, well, thank you. Thank of you course. so much for of being course. here for part two um, and for just helping us more deeply understand ourselves mm. and our realities and the way we fit into the world. I really yeah. appreciate it. Well, thanks for making space. This was wonderful. Of course. I know we touched on this in the last episode, but if someone wants to get connected to what you have to offer, start working with you in some capacity, where would you like to direct them? Yes. You can go to jadadobeshhealing.com. You can find me on Instagram at jadadobeshhealingco. Don't talk to me on Facebook. We talked about that. You can email me. Like I'm very accessible. Just don't find me on Facebook. I have a lot of different ways for you to dip your toes in with programming like Girl Talk, which teaches you everything you should have learned about your menstrual cycle and your body that you probably didn't learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> menstrual Mystics is the deeper dive into some more like coaching and healing that menstrual cycle and your hormonal health and your relationship with your body. I am in the middle of launching a brand new offering, which is for healing mother wounds. That's for the woman who is ready to get this going and get this taken care of. And I also do a lot of one-on-one work. So you can see me once a month and we can get going on that healing journey of your self-worth, your spirituality, your sexuality. Before we go, one thing I ask every guest on this show is, what does personal growth mean to you in this season? Oh, I love personal growth and I have been at it for a long time, but lately personal growth has felt like really loving life as it is right now and not trying to improve it further, but rather just be in it and and experience it. And a lot of that is coming from this place of what does it look like for me to be in my feminine rather than striving in my masculine for more healing and more growth. So cool. Well, thank you, Jada. I appreciate you so, so much. And until next time. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Have I told you today how much I appreciate you? I'd like to imagine this was a meaningful backyard patio kind of chat between friends sipping LaCroix at sunset. If you enjoyed today's show, 
please take a screenshot to share or forward this episode to a friend. You can also find me at Emily Rushel over on social to continue the conversation. It's truly a joy to hear what tidbits and takeaways made an impact on your day. As always, all links and resources mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes listed below or over at emilyrushell.com. Special thanks to my podcast manager, Jill Carr, for the time and love she puts into producing gathering growth for this community. What a blessing it is to be on this personal growth journey together. Forever grateful for you.